Are you in relationship to Jesus to serve him? Or are you in relationship to Jesus because you realize you're dead if he does not serve you? Mm. Hello, this is Pastor John. And this is Pastor Tim. And this is the Every Moment His podcast from Kearney, Nebraska. Bright and sunny Kearney, whereas it was not like for a week. Yeah, yeah. When the sun comes out after a week of fog in the Midwest, yeah, it's rejoicing. I felt like I lived in what I imagined Sweden or Norway being like yeah. in the winter. Or maybe Seattle. I mean, we had a lot of snow on the ground, but the, the dense fog, the clouds, we're not used to that. Yeah. Not really. Treatment. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the sun has come out, so it has. People rejoice. Um, what kind of coffee are you drinking today? I see you got you know, afternoon th- coffee yeah, time. Yeah, I think this is just a um, a Starbucks. The Pikes uh, Keurig. Place. Yeah. We have that in the office. Yep. It's kind of a standby. It's pretty good. I almost did that one. Yeah. <laughs> but I went with uh, Green Mountain. Okay. Nice Vermont uh, pick. Uh huh. I uh, I like having roots. that in the office because it reminds me of New England a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't blame you there. <laughs> kind of good roast, yeah. You know, Dunkin' Donuts isn't bad. I drink that sometimes. I'm okay with it. It's I'm okay with it. It's, it's a step above McDonald's for me. It's not Folgers. No, it's not Folgers. <laughs> Definitely not Maxwell House. Yeah, it's it's tolerable. Yeah. It's kind of like Tim Hortons. In, in Canada, Tim Hortons was just everywhere. I've heard about Tim Hortons. yeah. You Do know the story about Tim Hortons? He was a hockey player. Oh, he was. And then he opened up this franchise, and now it's like one of the most successful franchises in the world. Yeah. Um, donuts. So like football players open up car dealerships. Yeah, Elway did that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe hockey players open up coffee and donut joints. <laughs> it seemed to really mesh well with the Canadian culture, because something about black coffee and donuts is just, uh. you just have to have it wonder if that works for pastors. Yeah, what's the next franchise opportunity for pastors? Open up a coffee and donuts place. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always thought Chipotle would be good cause, just because yeah. I love their burritos so much. But I'm more of a Qdoba guy. There you go. It's kind of the poor man's Chipotle. <laughs> yeah. I don't know which is which, actually. Well, they're both equally good. Yeah, yeah. The queso is better. <laughs> All right, we gotta we gotta get back to work here. Okay. So what are we talking about today? We're <laughs> talking, are we talking about, about today? <laughs> we're talking about this idea called nominal Christianity. Yes. And so we're gonna try to define what that means and um, maybe illustrate its damaging effect that we w- maybe won't see unless we look carefully. Yeah. Right. And so, can you just give us uh, an intro? What is nominal Christianity? What do we mean when we say that? Yeah, so first we'll do some of the, the background of the word. Nominal means uh, in name. So we could say that nominal Christianity is Christianity in name only. We could also call it cultural Christianity. It, it means that, you know, there's a generic belief in God. Um, and, you know, maybe the church is involved to some extent. Uh, but, 
Jesus Christ is not necessarily at the center. It's kind of like Christianity with other motives and goals. <laughs> okay. Uh, there's a lot of different ways we can describe it, but I thought today, you know, we could take a look at maybe comparing it to genuine Christianity on a couple different levels. Um, and, and when we say genuine Christianity, I think we're going to have to work to define that a little bit too. Yeah. But we're talking about um, biblically adhering Christianity. So historic right. Christianity, Christianity that says, uh, this is absolutely true. Or like Martin Luther, he said, faith is like a daring uh, trust that would bet its life a thousand times on something. Yeah, we're talking about New Testament Christianity, mm -hmm. that Christianity that's based on the Word of God, Christianity that is um, worships Jesus Christ as Lord, uh, something that is going to be countercultural, that is going to swim against the tide of the way things are going. Right. And not just kind of drifting with and supporting the culture. And, and nominal Christianity is kind of going to, it's going to go by the label Christian. But I think one of the telling points would be when it really comes down to decision time, Yeah, it's going to go with kind of a secular uh, direction. Right. Yeah. All right. So l when we talk about this, let, let's, let's frame this a little bit with our own experiences um, of nominal Christianity. I think this is... Um, a little bit more evident where we both worked before. So we both were yeah. laborers in the Christian church in different cities. You were in Connecticut, mm -hmm. um, and then I was in Thunder Bay. And I would say we experienced a little bit more of the fallout of nominal Christianity. So it was a, a little bit more advanced. Yeah, advanced, and in some ways it had entirely died and in other ways, it still hung on in kind of interesting, weird ways. So tell me what that was like in Connecticut. Like, what did you notice? Yeah, so, you know, like, I always kind of think of the United States as sort of like, a, you know, when you you thaw a steak? <laughs> so I have a, I have a steak thawing in my freezer uh, right now, or in my fridge. And, and, you know, the outside is soft, but the inside is still firm. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of see the coasts and the urban centers sort of like thawed, meaning that the influence of Christianity is kind of gone, but that, that it's still kind of hard in the center in these Midwestern plain states, um, especially in more rural areas, you know, the, the hold of Christianity holds on. Now, in some ways it doesn't. In other ways, in urban centers, it might more in different ways. It just kind of depends. But uh, so, you know, on the coasts, you know, maybe where you served in Canada, where I served in New England, you had people who the church wasn't even on the radar. Mm -hmm. And questions about God were not even there. And, yeah. and, and it just wasn't a thing. It, yeah, theology wasn't a language that people spoke. Right, and so it was very secular. Um, it was kind of, uh, so in, in his book, uh, A Secular Age, philosopher Charles Taylor talks about three levels of secularity. And I would say that a lot of times the coasts are kind of at level three, meaning that belief in God is not, is not the default option. It is one option among many and not the first pick. And yet, because New England was very Roman Catholic in its history, um, you had it kind of hold on. 
And so mm-hmm. you did have people who'd want to have you know, their kids baptized or they wanted to be married in a church. But it was not as common as here. Okay. So I would say that nominal Christianity was collapsing right. where I was before. It's still holding on and kind of pervasive here in Nebraska. Okay, so if we just, I was just reading some statistics actually. So uh, we can kind of see the Western world shift away from Christianity. Yeah, much Um, different than say the the global south where the church is growing. Like I was reading an article about the explosive growth of Christianity in Iran, for example. Yeah, right, right. One of the fastest growing Christian churches in the world is in Iran. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, so... um, in the Western world, and in particular, if we look at historically Christian nations, Christian populations, Germany, for instance, uh, about, a, I don't know, a decade ago, I read a statistic that said in Germany, um, you want to guess how many adult males, what percentage of adult males actually go to church? I bet it's abysmal, like 3%. It is 3%. Oh, wow. That's an incredible that guess. Yeah. <laughs> And part of that is it's the state church. They're talking about the state church. Yeah. Um, Which, by the way, the state church is a, is a great expression of nominal cultural right, Christianity. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, similarly, in um, Britain, mm-hmm. right, we see uh, about 6% of men attending church of any kind uh, yeah. as a Christian. So those are terrifying kind of statistics. We think, what's going on there? And that really is uh, the collapsed... Uh, nominal Christianity maybe would be the first phase, and then we would come to kind of an, a rejection, a wholesale rejection of habits and even the name of Chris- Christianity. Yeah, but then it's interesting because even in very secular areas, they still will hold on to some aspects of morality, like human rights. Yeah. And and but there's no real basis on which these things are really true and make sense. But but then you know human beings are incurably religious. And so right. even in secular places like Norway or Sweden, uh, there is this rising belief in, you know, ghosts and oh. um, kind of new agey yeah. spirituality, haunted houses. and Maybe and, uh, uh, neo-paganism. Neo-paganism, yeah. yeah they're kind of going back Worshiping to their of Nordic nature. roots. Right. Right, right. <laughs> People are just super interested in this stuff because... They lost their Christian faith, but they still have this religious, spiritual itch they need to scratch. And it just comes mm. out in kind of bizarre ways. So if it's not contained in kind of a truth direction, mm. it's going to be contained by something. Yeah. So, yeah. So I think that nominal Christianity is collapsing in many of our urban centers, mm-hmm. bigger cities, um, but here in, say, Nebraska, I think it holds on. But it's going to collapse eventually, I believe. Now, on, on the one hand, I'm really optimistic about the religious future of America, and that is partially because of, of, of immigrants, because I think mm. that when immigrants come to the United States, they're generally more religious than... The locals. The locals. Yeah. And, and think about it, why is Nebraska so religious? Because a whole bunch of Germans came over about 100 years ago, right? Yeah. 150 years ago. Or a bunch of Swedes and Czechs, you know, and they were all very Lutheran or Catholic, uh-huh. generally speaking. Yep. Um, and so as you get people coming from, say, Ethiopia or people from Nigeria or people from, um, you know, maybe from the Philippines or other countries, they're very religious, generally speaking. And so they're going to set up shop 
set up church. Um, but with that said, I think that in areas where Christianity still has a, a strong hold, those things are going to collapse, at least in our demographic. Mm -hmm. I think that it's going to gradually collapse in which the church will no longer have a place of privilege. The church will no longer be the default place. And we know this and feel this, I think. Already. Already, but it's, it's only going to become more pervasive, and I think that we need to recognize this so that we're not anxious or angry. <laughs> when it, yeah. But rather we just recognize that when nominal Christianity dies, and maybe it's a slow, drawn-out death, that really is an opportunity for genuine Christianity to kind of be genuine. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's try to tease this out a little bit more. I think um, nominal Christianity might happen, it might occur, when uh, real true heart belief has left, but there's still a lot of social advantage to getting married in the church, to having kids baptized in the church. Right. And so, you know, mom and dad maybe they're like, yeah, you know, I don't really, I don't really buy the whole deal. I don't really think there's anything supernatural. Uh, the resurrection of the dead, um, or even true I might forgiveness kind of, of sins. I yeah. might kind of like sign off on those things intellectually, but yeah, like sure, why wouldn't I believe that? I mean, my parents did, my grandparents did. It feels nice, but there's no investment in a community. So. Yeah, it's kind of loosely held on, but yeah. it's not it's not going to dictate my life. It's not going to really direct my life. Yeah. It's going to be something that I latch on to because it's my story. It's the story of my ancestors. Yeah, possibly. Well, so what if we look at this maybe according to three different aspects of Christianity and and the attachment or lack of attachment or really I guess we could say the relationship that nominal Christianity and genuine Christianity have with each of these. Okay. So let's, well, first let's look at the person of Jesus Christ. That's a good place to start. Kind of important, <laughs> With Christianity. <right? laughs> yeah. But nominal Christianity, what is nominal Christianity going to do with the person of Jesus Christ? Yeah, so I would say that nominal Christianity would really experience Jesus as sort of like a life coach, a therapist, you know, Jesus take the wheel, you know, that kind of thing. It's kind of really maybe inspired by Jesus. Yeah. But Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, as the Lord of heaven and earth before whom every knee will bow and every mm -hmm. tongue will confess. Um, like for real. Like the real <laughs> deal. Yeah. Uh, you know, like when John in the book of Revelation sees him and falls dead at his feet. Right. <laughs> well, not literally dead, but as if dead. Yeah. Uh, Has to be revived. Yeah. So I don't, I don't think that's the Jesus that nominal Christianity is talking about. And so really I think that Jesus is kind of like the South Park Jesus maybe a little bit. Yeah. Or like the buddy Christ. Or I kind of think of him um, as the moral leader. He's maybe the moral crusade leader, you know. I don't know yeah. if that's the right word, but he's the moral leader that will just, you know, if you really want to be a good person, man, Jesus, he's just he's forgiving his enemies. You yeah. know, man, if Welcoming we could only be children. like Jesus. I, I mean, think one distinction here um, is this question that I came across is, are you in relationship to Jesus to serve him 
Or are you in relationship to Jesus because you realize you're dead if he does not serve you? Mm. And there's the savior aspect, right? Because, okay, is Jesus giving you advice? Right. Or is Jesus literally saving you from sin, death, and hell? Yeah. <laughs> and, and I think if the nominal Christian will say, oh, yeah, Jesus is great. He's my homeboy. He's, uh, he's the best moral example that this world yeah. has ever seen. And, of course, I believe in Jesus. But when it comes down to it, um, you know what? I'm only going to participate in the church or my religious belief in Jesus insofar as I am the one serving yeah, I'm in kind of control of the relationship. And, right. And yeah, and so... It's about you know, my moral fiber. I think of, you know, like if you... Wh- what kind of a relationship do you have with a flotation device? <laughs> you know, if you're on board on the cruise ship, you might you might know where the life vest is, the, the lifesaver is, but you're only going to use it if you need it. But if you're overboard and drowning, you're going to have a really close grip relationship mm. with that life vest. You're going to wear it. You're going to grab it. And the same thing with, with genuine Christianity. We'll cling to Jesus in his word, in baptism, in the Lord's Supper, in the communion of the saints. Like, I need Jesus, right? Um, and so really, I would say that in nominal Christianity, you could actually take Jesus out and nobody mm. would know. <laughs> yeah, just beep. We could just Slip worship this generic God. God is nice. God is kind. God is great. And, and we never even know that Jesus was missing because he wasn't necessarily necessary. Yikes. Yikes. And, and I think, you know, we've talked a little bit about this in our vision of heaven. Is Jesus in your vision of heaven? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's the whole point, right, is to be with God and to be with the, the Jesus who laid his life down for us. But yeah. a lot of times, yeah, secular or nominal Christianity will have in mind something besides that they'll have uh, their own pleasure or their optimal life locked in sort of an eternal disneyland or golfing or whatever you like doing here you just kind of keep doing it and whether or not jesus is there to enjoy it with whatever or even we put a priority on our loved ones yeah being with our loved ones which is not a bad instinct but we want to be with our loved ones gathered around the throne of God and worship, you know, not just... Yeah, just hanging out and having a, having a bush light with Grandpa yeah. on, the, on the lake, right? right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, well, let's look at this next category. So that's how we treat Jesus as kind of a peripheral side, rather. And, but in genuine Christianity, I mean, Jesus is absolutely everything. Um, you have that good John Stott quote recently you've been talking about. What about Jesus... Christianity is all about Christ. Anything that's not about Christ is not Christianity. I yeah. mean, it's pretty simple, right? I, I could have done <laughs> it in a British accent because John Stott was British. Maybe rest in peace. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then again, okay, so that's how we treat Jesus. But what about his words? What about God's word? Yeah, so God's word, the scriptures, the Bible. Um, I would say nominal Christianity would say that God's word is inspirational. It makes for a good Hobby Lobby sign in mm. your living room. <laughs> Um, it's good advice, but it's not authoritative. And so it's not going to change the way I live. It's not going to change decisions about, you know, whether I move in with my girlfriend before we get married Mm -hmm. or it's not going to change whether I go to church or not. It's not going to change whether I try to share my faith with other people. It's not going to really bring me under the, the Lordship of Jesus 
it's going to just kind of help me live a good life. And, and I think you see even nominal Christianity really on display, even in churches where churches will have entire sermon series where the focus is on you being a better you. And of course, sanctification, you know, the growth that we have as Christians becoming more like Jesus makes you into a better you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. But we're thinking of the American dream better you, you know, like I want to be a more positive person. I want to, you know, attain my goals. Yeah. Blessed. I want to yeah. be blessed. Hashtag blessed. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I can just imagine a bunch of angry uh, people writing in to us, you know, emailing us because, uh, you know, someone listened to this podcast and threw away all their Hobby Lobby uh, signs in their house. <laughs> the, I've know. got Hobby Lobby signs I in my know, house. Yeah, well, I've, I've got, you know, like, rejoice always, pray in all circumstances, or yeah, yeah. First Corinthians 13. But, you know, sometimes you get these, like, these kind of statements from Scripture that are way out of context. Right. Yeah. Right. It's Or it's like, yeah, the Scripture is on the same level as the sign that says, friends gather here. Yeah. Right, yeah, or bless this mess. Right, <laughs> same yeah. same thing. Yeah. Okay, so what about genuine Christianity? How do genuine Christians uh, think about God's word? So yeah, God's word is going to be central because God's word is the story of our salvation, the story of where history is heading and we're a part of it. So we see ourselves in that story. When we gather for worship on Sunday, we don't gather you know, just because it's what we're supposed to do or because I had time this week, we do it because we're rehearsing the story. You mm. know, we're celebrating the story that God's made us a part of. And so naturally, God's word is going to be the center of our worship, the center of our lives. And so God's word is going to be the authority of what we believe and how we live. Yeah. So when we ask questions about, should I do this or should I do that? What should I do in this situation? What should I believe about this? It's not going to come under the authority of our feelings, our culture, prevailing opinion. It's going to come under the authority of God's word. And that, I think, is a marked distinction between nominal and genuine Christianity. So th it's going to have a, a moral governing uh, gravity to it. I yeah. think, too, you know, what Jesus says about God's word, he says, uh, you're not, you can't live without God's word. You know, it's like bread. And Yeah, and as much as Jesus, I think in that same context, in his temptation, he says, it is written. Yeah. It is written. And we as Christians, you know, as we come to the sermon, for example, who cares what Pastor John wants to say or what Pastor Tim wants to say? What does God's word say, right? Mm -hmm. Let's listen to the text. What does it say? And then let that actually change our minds. In our hearts, yeah. yeah. So okay. I, I love the, the portion of our liturgy that says, uh, Alleluia, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And uh, that's not the way that we approach the word if we're in this nominal Christianity mindset. Yeah, so the nominal Christian is going to be like, eh, well, it's, it's, a f it's fairly good advice and there's no harm in in listening to God's word, but it's not really a essential mm -hmm. part of who I am. I don't live by God's word. It doesn't sustain my existence. Right? Yeah. Gives me a little injection, a little shot. Yeah. A little if I need advice, yeah. pick me up. Inspiration. Uh, so good. Um, yeah, if we look in the Bible, we see, yeah, in Acts 2, people were just dedicating themselves to this, the apostles' teachings, to the word of God. 
and trying to set up a life, a family, a culture that was aimed in that direction mm-hmm. as distinct from any other direction. Okay, how about the church? So we have Jesus, the, um, God's word, and then what about the church, the gathering of the saints? Yeah, so I would say nominal Christianity would say that the church is optional, but not necessary, right? I mean, so I'll go to worship sometimes because maybe my family is, or I'll go to worship because I'm in town, you know, visiting relatives. I'll go to church because it's Christmas or Easter. I'll go to church because I just need a pick-me-up, and I've been away for a while. Um, But it's not like this necessary core pattern by which I live my life, you know. Um, And then I'd also say that for nominal Christianity, uh, the church is often a helper. It's just kind of there to help me when I want to get my kids baptized, when I want to maybe drop them off at Sunday school and give them some religious instruction so they're nice people, so they grow up moral. Um, When I want to get married or when I die, the church will bury me. So, I mean, crassly, it's a bit like the DMV. (laughs) But more nostalgic, maybe, because nobody likes to go to the DMV. That's true. (laughs) Maybe some people do. Well, I mean, it's like when you get your driver's license, man, it's a big deal. I like to go to to the DMV. (laughs) So here in Buffalo County, it's such a breeze. Yeah, right. (laughs) Like, I've tried to do this in St. Louis. I've tried to do this in Hartford, and I want to gouge my eye out with this (laughs) because it's atrocious. And you have to always, like return three times because you forgot eight proofs of residence you know (laughs) (laughs) you've got seven instead of eight you know when you go into one of those rooms and there's like a counter on the on the wall and you take a number and the number is very high and everybody's mad already (laughs) yeah so no uh no i yeah i think there is this nostalgia you know with the church this deep feeling and and granted we can as pastors and as the church we can leverage that for good you know like come back home yeah, but um, it's got to be more than just simple nostalgia, though. Yeah, it's got to yeah. be this deep heart change, and we'll talk yeah. about that. In a I, well, and I think a good example of this—I just remembered this—but um, a woman in Thunder Bay, she called me, looking for a church to be married in. She wasn't looking for a church to join. Yeah, she was, and this was the specific thing she wanted. She's like, "I want a church with pews. I want to mm-hmm. be married in a building with pews because that's what." was in her mind and she what she wasn't saying is i want to be married in a church with jesus right. blessed by his word right so this yeah. is kind of and in he a wants christian to show up, community that's cool, but yeah. the, the pews right yeah, yeah the yeah whatever the yeah. pews and the look of a you know a sanctuary with a cross and that's where she wants to have her pictures yeah um so that's a good kind of example what about you know cr- genuine christians what do we think about the church and i think this is so we just need to always think about this well. Yeah, I think that we see the church as these are my people. We don't see it so much as a building, but we see it as my community. These are my people. I love these people. They love me. I'm committed to these people. We're gathered here for the same purpose, that we are all sinners in need of treatment. <laughs> you know? Yeah. We, we are all in recovery, right? We, we need Jesus Christ desperately. And I think that, so, so I would say our relationship to the church as in genuine Christianity is one of desperation and one of, of that's central and life-giving. And 
And so, you know, I, I, I don't go to church because I have to. I go to church because I need to. Yeah, <laughs> you know, right, it's right. like that. Um, and I think we can even draw in the sacraments here, too, because, you know, we could, we could have talked about this with God's word because the, the sacraments are a visible word, a wet word and yeah, an edible right, word, right. as we often say. Yep. Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper. But we, we can't talk about the church and not talk about the sacraments because it's through baptism that we come into the church. It's through the Lord's Supper that we are sustained, just like Israel was in the wilderness by the manna, mm-hmm. except now we eat the very body and blood of Christ in our pilgrimage journey. But I think that sometimes, and this is tragic, but it's true, I think that sometimes the sacraments can be used in the service of nominal Christianity. Mm. And... Gotta be careful with that, huh? Yeah, because, you know, when Martin Luther talks about the sacraments, he wants to rid them of misuse, which is superstition and sort of institutional kind of check that box. Right. He always uses the word faith, that that baptism is where faith is given and, and nurtured and and then the Lord's Supper is to be received in faith. And so, you know, sometimes in nominal Christianity, baptism is, well, mom and dad and grandma and grandpa want me to get the kid wet, you know, mm-hmm. and or I feel like I should do this or I want them to be maybe kind of a part of the church. So we'll get them baptized, but we won't really be here. Yeah. Or I'll come to communion on Easter, but it's not really on the top of my list of things that I want to experience. I'll kind of take yeah. it because I'm here. And, you know, one thing I'm thinking about in nominal Christianity is all of these three things we've talked about really go together. Because if you talk to someone about, you know, say they're, someone's not attending church, they're not communing, even though they said they would. And you just say, you know, what what's going on there? You know, like, I just... And they might say, I don't think I need to go to church to be a good person. Or, you know, I'm not sure that, I, I'm pretty sure I can worship God on my own terms. Yeah. But then you say, well, God's word says this, right? This Jesus whom you say is Lord, yeah. he says, you can't go without my word, right? You can't detach. Yeah. And they'll say, well, that's your Jesus. <laughs> yeah, right. Or some kind of, you know, that inconsistency. It's like, have you read the New Testament? It's yeah. all about the church. It's all because, about how yeah, we Yeah, you can't read the New Testament and take out the church. I mean, the right. church and the New Testament go hand in hand. And, and I don't think any of the apostles would have ever imagined a Christianity that is void of the church or in which the church is not central. Yeah. So the, the church really should be a, a tribe of people here on earth that are focused um, on, on living together and supporting each other and being strong as Christians. Mm-hmm. Uh, but nominal Christianity kind of te- treats it like a, a service organization. Yeah. Possibly yeah. fraternity. Right, yeah. With member benefits and that kind of thing. Yeah, and, and so I think one point I think that is really important to point out here is that if you're, <coughs> excuse me, if you're living in a context where nominal Christianity has collapsed, I think that you need to kind of really learn how to communicate the Christian faith to people who just don't even know the basics of Christianity. Mm. Here in Nebraska, here in Kearney, I think our challenge is that we are trying to communicate the genuineness of the faith to those who may have experienced low doses of the faith to the point where they could even be inoculated against its true power. And 
And so if there's going to be maybe a struggle or maybe even a place where tension might be felt in the church, I think it's a lot of times along this question of nominal Christianity because you and me as pastors and I think all of us as a staff, we're trying to invite people into this genuine experience of Christianity more and more. And sometimes that can be confusing or it can cause tension. And not that you're going out looking for those things. It's just that they naturally arise. You know, so, you know, yes, I really want to marry you, but I also want you to be part of this church. Yeah. Or a church. And not just nominally. Yeah, Yeah. and not just nominally, but yes, part of it. Or yes, I will baptize you, but I want you to be a part of this church because if I baptize you, I'm your shepherd. Right. And I can't be your shepherd if I never see you, you know. So I think, one, I think we should have maybe a word of encouragement towards people who see this. And then two, I think we should say, well, maybe we're actually talking to someone who's nominal. Yeah, maybe. And what... What, so what's the next step for them? But I think for someone who is in the church and they're, um, cons- they're concerned about maybe family friends who are in that nominal bucket or they suspect that to be the case, mm-hmm. um, I think one of my convictions, uh, having lived through some pretty, um, some life in a culture that was fairly anti-Christian yeah. or, or confused in many ways, um, I think... I don't want to be lulled to sleep. Right. And so I, I, I think we need to make a stand now here in, in Kearney and at Holy Cross. We need to say, let's be clear. Let's, let's not um, fool ourselves. Let's not kid ourselves. And let's be sure that the, there's that important conversation happening. Do you really trust this word from God? Yeah. This and if, you, no if you don't, let's talk about it because, yeah. I mean this isn't one of those judgmental things. It's one of those things where let's just be really clear about what it means to know Jesus and what it means to not. And let's not have that kind of lukewarm middle. And if you're in that lukewarm middle, let's talk. Let's kind of get to the heart of it because Jesus prefers that you be either one or the other, (laughs) but not in the middle. Yeah. You know, he says that very striking words in Revelation chapter three to the church of Laodicea. He says, you know, I'd rather that you be hot or cold, but you're lukewarm. And, so um, I'll spit you out of my mouth. Yeah, I mean, that's try that for a Hobby Lobby. <laughs> <laughs> we really should. That's our be- next that's business. That's our next. Not Tim Hortons, is not Coffee and Donuts. We're going to open up an inspirational. Satir- satirical, inspirational quotes like, company. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I can see it now, like right over the fireplace. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Yeah, I am. I am inspired by that idea. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think for the, someone who says, "Okay, man, that, it's kind of me," you know, like I'm kind of like on the fence. Well, first of all, this is what pastors are for—to um, shepherd I, you to the center absolutely. and not to the, you know, let and, you stay. And I in think the a exterior. lot of the objections or the reasons people float in that direction has to do with unexamined beliefs. You know, like I think, mm-hmm. it, well, let's dig. I mean. The time is now, and I would say what we're, our heart is, look, I, w- I want to be in front of the throne of God at the, on the last day of the judgment day, which Jesus says is coming, mm-hmm. uh, anytime. I want to be there, and I don't want to have any regret that I, I held out on my people or I missed opportunities. I want that to be like, oh, yeah, I don't want anyone to say to me, Pastor Tim, why didn't you talk about this? Yeah, right. Right? Like, well, you're just, you know, 
sorry to interrupt yeah, you, but go I ahead. just had a thought just hit me. Um, the Apostle Paul is speaking with the elders of the Ephesian church in, I think, Acts chapter 20. And he says, I have not withheld from you anything that would have been beneficial for you. I've, I've given you the whole counsel of God. So basically, blood's not on my hands. Like, yeah. You know, because he's so utterly serious about making sure that he has preached God's word in its entirety so that those people persevere and continue with genuine faith to the end. He, yeah. And Paul will often talk about that he might boast on the day of Christ, you know, so that he would like the people that he baptized are the people that are with him at the end. So, uh, yeah, if you if you feel like, man, this nominal Christianity is kind of describing me, I would say get a little bit startled right yeah, now. Yeah, for real, yeah. Um, know that this is true. Jesus Christ really is returning, and mm-hmm. and it matters what is in our heart. And so begin to be startled by that truth, but also don't leave it there. Move towards some action. Yeah, and if you have family members, you know, uh, who might kind of, you suspect, kind of fit into this nominal Christianity mindset you know i would just encourage you to to not make excuses because we can Mm -hmm. do that right we can say you know well this person doesn't really have a connection with the church and it doesn't seem like god's word is really important to them but i think i'm i think they're okay because they got confirmed once or something um we we got to be really honest and in our prayers come before the Lord and just really plead for those those people for their salvation and not be lulled into sleep and think everything's okay it's fine it's fine yeah that's a know. huge temptation it is and the good news there is you know who did Jesus Christ come to save he came to save the lost yeah for real so if people truly are in the category of lost and not somewhere in between um, then Jesus is see- searching for them. Yeah, because there actually is no in-between. That's right, yeah, that's so. right. Um, just to kind of sum up here, I mean, what is the solution to all this? And, you know, I think the solution to nominal Christianity will always be Jesus, the Word, and the Church. <laughs> so, And with all that, the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit draws us to Christ. He speaks to us through the Word, works on us through the Word, and and calls us into the communion of God's people in the Church. And and, you know, I really think that the, that the solution, the cure for nominal Christianity is always to have a genuine encounter with Jesus Christ mm-hmm. in his word. To, to meet him, to, to really understand what it means to be a human being and what God expects of us and how far, we, how far we've fallen short of it. And then to have an experience of understanding that that same Christ who will be the judge on the last day is the one who died for me and to cling to him in faith and recognize we have no other hope in life or in death i mean that that pretty much that's what we all need yeah <laughs> that's know? what changes hearts yeah yep uh well said you should be a preacher or something <laughs> uh well god's peace to you everyone who is listening and uh we'll be back again uh, next week with another uh, episode of every moment his See you there.